am delighted to be chairing this morning. Thank you very much for coming. Um, I'm going to introduce you to all the panellists. At the end, we've got Emily Gale, who is Head of Talent at Fremantle, um, which amongst those companies are Talkback Thames and various other ones. Um, and then we've got Dan Murdoch, who is a filmmaker who makes popcorn documentaries, which we'll tell you about <laughs> later. Um, and then we've got um, Lindsay Korniecki. Is that right? No, tell me. Lindsay... Lindsay Konietzi, who is a um, film, who is an, you are, sorry, you is a producer and made the Stephen Lawrence documentary, the brilliant Stephen Lawrence documentary. We've got Sanjay Singhal, who's the CEO of his own indie called Voltage, and you might recognise Ruth off the telly because she's an actress. <laughs> okay, so... And we're going to start by, um, I remember when I very first sort of saw what it was like to work in television, I actually couldn't believe people got paid for it because it was people who were contestant researchers and their job was to look after contestants. And that was the first job that I did in television. And my dad was a plaster and I genuinely thought that everyone came home from work really dirty. And I thought the idea of just looking after people in the studio was the best job in the world. So I'm going to ask all the panellists what they think is the best thing about their job and what they like most about the industry. So I'll start with you, Emily. Uh, oh, yeah, there we yeah. go. Oh, this is amazing. It works. So um, what do I love most about my job? Well, having been a programme maker and now finding the people to make the programmes, I think I love being a matchmaker. I'm a sort of TV matchmaker, so I find the runners or exec producers, series directors to work on our programmes, and I love that. It's like fitting a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. So I'd say that. And just the people, I think, although it sounds cliched, but I just love the, the fact that everyone's really nosy that works in TV. <laughs> and I'm a naturally nosy person. So I love finding out what makes people tick and then hoping to find the best people to work on our shows. This work? Yeah. It works, works. I'm still, reading, work. I'm still reading from Popcorn Docs. Thank <laughs> you. you. Tell them what they are. BAFTA nominated popcorn dogs, mate. <laughs> so, steady, yeah? Um, yeah, I guess I'm lucky I get to travel around the world making films and uh, meeting oddballs and interesting people and dangerous people um, as a kind of itinerant filmmaker. So, from Chicago gangbangers to Moroccan drug smugglers, teenage transsexuals to teenage exorcists. Uh, the KKK to the Black Power Movement. And it's, you know, it's a great time. You get loads of good bar stories out of it, I think. Um, there's an old phrase, isn't there, that it's journalism, you're not on stage, but it's a front row seat at the Theatre of Life. And it's a bit pithy, but it's probably about right. Yeah, yeah. good. And Lindsay, what, what well do you Well said. And yeah. um, I was going to speak a little bit about, you know, I actually love just the fact that it's so varied. You're literally just thrown into completely different worlds all of the time, and you're sat there like, I know nothing about this. Why? Am I, how am I working on this project? And you just have to become an expert in that field. And and sometimes, actually, yesterday at work, I was sort of listening around to conversations around me, and I just thought, this is totally bonkers. Like, what are these people even talking about? This is mad, and we're actually getting paid for it. So, it's brilliant, and it's really exciting. And there's just creative, inspiring, really intelligent people around you all of the time who will nurture you. Um, and yeah. It's just a really fun industry to be part of, yeah. Sanjay, what do you love about running a company? Uh, I'd say, A, you're never, ever bored. So I've been in the job now for about 150 years, and I basically <laughs> still love every moment of it, unlike a lot of my friends who can't wait to retire. But the thing, the most important thing for me is um, uh, I'm sort of egomaniac, and I love the fact that you're making programmes that millions of people want to watch. And I love the fact that I'll tell you one quick story. My son, who's now 18, but when he's 16, he was going to a big drum and bass festival. And he was on the couch with his headphones on. He's going to realise everyone was talking about this TV programme. And it was um, 
Inside the Factory, which is a programme with Greg Wallace and Cherry Healy on BBC Two. It's the least likely programme that a bunch of 16-year-olds heading to a drum and bass festival will be talking about. <laughs> they're all tomorrow, they loved it, and thought, that's funny, my dad makes that. And I love that fact that you make programmes that connect with a broad range of people, and that's fundamentally the only thing I'm in it for, which is getting programmes that are watched by a lot of people, and that's what I love. Yeah, I guess for me, really, um, being part of any production as an actor is such a privilege, and knowing that every single person, no matter what role you're doing on that production, you're all there to make the same thing. And yeah, just to be part of something that's really creative and take a writer's words and put my interpretation on it as a character. And there's always the added bonus of not having to get up and do your own hair and makeup. <laughs> that's always a bonus. Although when the production finishes and you have to go back to doing everything yourself, it's a little bit heartbreaking, but... <laughs> What's, what's, what's interesting about this industry is that everyone has a different route into it. Um, so we won't go into everyone's route into it, but what I'm interested in is that what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? Um, I'm going to start with you this time, Dan. Yeah, sure. Um, I was thinking about this, and it's, I guess it's quite specific to directing, which is what I do. Um, the thing, throughout your career, there's loads of these kind of experience cliff edges which you suddenly get to where you've never done anything before and then you're expected to just be really good at it straight away. So the first time you use a camera, the first time you do the sound, the first time you direct a crew, the first time you're writing a script, first time you're in an edit. And these things can actually be quite daunting, um, which is fair enough. But I think throughout this industry, the only way you really get those skills is by just doing it. You learn it all on the job. So I suppose I would say it's fine to be scared and daunted by all of these kind of cliff edges, but don't let that stop you doing it because that's ultimately the only way you're going to mess it up and then get better at it. But how do you do that practically? Because obviously if you've never done something before and someone's asking you to do it, how do you get through that without it being sort of disastrous? Well, you've got to hope they've employed you to do it for a reason. You know, they haven't just yeah. plucked you out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, people like Emily and people like Sanjay employ people who will probably never have done some of the jobs before because they believe in them, they think they've got the skills. And then you rely on people like Emily and people like Sanjay to get the advice for it as well. But I just, I know there's loads of training courses out there and I'm, I suspect there's people who make their living out of training courses here, but everything I've learned, you just learn it on shoots and on the job and you just kind of absorb it as you're doing stuff. So it's really important just to crack on and get stuck in. What do you wish you'd known, Emily? Gosh, I, how long do you have? Um, I think don't feel. Af I think I'd wish I'd known that I could be honest and say I hadn't done something before. So making programmes, if there was a difficult situation and I felt nervous, I wish I'd said to the producer when I was a runner or researcher. I've never done this before. I'm up for it, but can I just get a few tips? I think often we're all afraid to say that we're new to something. So I think it's about being honest and saying, I haven't done it. Do you have any top tips? <laughs> now, you're that producer, Sanjay, who someone would say, I haven't done it before to. And how do you respond when that happens in your company? Um, I'm probably the wrong person to tell that to, uh, to be perfectly honest. But I'd say, look, in answer to your... Um, <laughs> Too late in the day. Uh, but I, in answer to your question about what I wish I'd known, I probably think, um, you know that feeling you get when you're doing a job, you're thinking, geez, I'm going to get found out really soon that I don't know what I'm doing. The truth is, what I wish I'd known then was that everyone feels that way from mm. bottom to top. Everyone is just mm. waiting for the moment they get called out and you get worked out that you don't actually quite know what you're doing. I honestly still feel that way sometimes. And so I think there's something about the fact that it's not about bluffing your way through it. The thing is that the industry is built 
uh, on expecting people to push harder and higher than they've achieved before because it's built around innovation. You don't get innovation unless you take risk. You don't get risk unless you allow people to fail. And so therefore there's always inbuilt within the system, there's got to be the possibility of people overreaching and people failing. And therefore you're not alone if you're thinking, I don't quite know what I'm doing here. So I'd say, I wish I'd kind of known that, that I wasn't the only one who was thinking, I'm, I don't quite know what I'm doing here. It doesn't help answer how you get through it. You just have to get through it. Um, and you have to accept though, I think the other thing is I think just accept that uh, failing is not a bad thing as long as you learn from it. People will accept it as long as you have dealt with it properly and you learn the lessons from it. So it's okay to fail. In fact, it's good to fail, I would say. Okay. And Lindsay? That's actually called imposter syndrome. Because I, I, I found out about that last year and I was like, that's what that is. I've been waiting to get caught out. But yeah, I think it's um, also a confidence thing. I think some of us are just blessed with a lot of confidence. Others aren't. And I think early on, I really struggled with... Should I be here? Am I well enough connected? Am I intelligent enough? All of these sort of crazy anxieties that I think most of us get. And um, it's just important to, you know, put yourself out there and try things that you haven't done. And I got told, I started off in production and I sort of got nurtured into that route and I loved it and I thought it was a really good learning curve. But I wanted to move into editorial and people told me that it was too unreliable, you know, it was oversaturated. I'm a woman, you know, if I want to have kids, I should be thinking about longer contracts and, you know, whatever else. And um, I think there's just a lot of advice out there that people will give you like we're doing now. But it's just very important, I think, to think about what advice is good for you as an individual as, and what, what advice is just good for their circumstances and, and listen to advice and take it. But don't be afraid to put yourself out there and challenge yourself because that's the best way to learn and grow. Now, Ruth, you were a breakthrough Brit, weren't you? So can you tell yeah. us a bit about that and also what role you think mentoring can play in your career? Sure. I think well, probably one of the best things that I've been blessed with throughout my career, um, as short as it's been so far, um, is the BAFTA Breakthrough Brit scheme, which is uh, every year BAFTA picks, um, I think, it's, is it up to 20 different individuals who are writers, directors, um, game makers, actors, produces lots of different people who work in the industry and uh, they are picked to be mentored throughout the whole year and um, I was lucky enough to be picked in 2016 and BAFTA I, I learned one so much about what I wanted to get out of my career and two how much BAFTA actually does because again very very new to this industry I was like oh they, they they give awards out, and that was what I thought it was. And then you learn more about this fantastic network that they have and the help that they give. I think mentoring, for me, has probably been the best thing and will continue to be. If I'm blessed enough to be doing this when I'm 70 years old, I will still hopefully want to learn from other people. You never stop learning, and I think that's something that I cherish very dearly is information, advice, and guidance from people who have been doing this a lot longer than me and who have got completely different careers to me, but that are still working in this crazy industry that we all think, oh yeah, that looks fun, let's do that. It's, it's insane that we all work in this industry when it is so diverse and hard, but beautiful at the same time. Okay. I mean, cl clearly it's a competitive industry. It's a competitive industry. And so, you know, what sort of skills and attributes are you looking for, Emily, when you hire people? You know, what sort of things? Well, I suppose starting out, the one thing that I always say, you know when you've got a friend who, when they call you, you turn your phone to silent, the, what I call the drains, the, the friends that just transmit and don't receive. 
So I'm looking for the radiators, you know, the people at the party who you, what you gravitate towards. And I don't mean you have to be the big jazz hands, loudest person, but the people that are positive. So I think in a way, Addy, you know, it's long hours, it's relentless, as the panel have said. You really have to have a lot of resilience to work in the industry because, you know, it's tough and it is competitive. But I think ultimately, in a way, it's a really simple thing, which is just being that radiator and the person that finds the solutions to the nightmare problem in the office when the presenter doesn't like their lunch or, you know, the traffic warden's outside and you have to run and negotiate. You know, you have to be willing to just deal with that and be charming. And it's, as I said, it's not about being the kind of big, loudest person, but it's just you don't want to be that draining friend that you just turn that phone off as soon as you see it ringing. But you, but you wouldn't know that from a CV, would you? It's true. So, so it's sort of, what, what do you look for in a CV? Okay. What would attract you to you know, getting someone in for a chat or something on the back of a, yeah. CVs? Well, I suppose, although you wouldn't see that in a CV, if someone's worked, for example, I remember hiring someone who had worked for Land's End Catalogue for six years from the age of 16, and I just thought, that is brilliant. I mean, to have that commitment, you know, at 16, that's someone who's used to dealing with customers. It's just like dealing with contributors when you're working on production. The other thing that I think is key is your interests. Are they interesting? I mean, people write reading, going to the theatre, eating out you know, running, it's like, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> those are all just so predictable. So it's doing things that really, you know, someone that you're going to meet, just like you'd meet someone for the first time, if they have something interesting to tell you, you remember them. So if you're doing something interesting in your personal life, then, you know, we want to hear, you might be meeting some amazing characters, so. And those interests, they don't have to be related to the industry, can they just be interests outside the industry? If anything, I would say, you know, yes, it's, Obviously, you need to demonstrate that you are interested in the industry and you are attending events like this and you're being really proactive. But yes, because you might meet some great characters at that sumo wrestling club that you go to or the Japanese animation project that you're doing with a friend. So it's really just about being varied in your life because otherwise, if your life is quite singular and you know, you, where are your interests? Who are you hearing from? Who are your audience? Yeah. So I do think it's a combination of the two. So, Sandra, you have to hire in your company, and obviously it's a competitive industry. Um, but so how do you decide who you want to hire? What, what do you look for in a CV? Well, look, um, for, with a CV, I'm only interested in what programmes you've made, where you've worked and what you've done. So all that stuff that people write at the top of the CV, I never, I skip past all of that. I, I shouldn't say it because I know it's really important and other, uh, what I do is probably different from what other people do. I'm only interested in, um, in uh, a, a sort of track record of <clears throat> have you either made a number of programmes I regard uh, as being relevant or being really interesting or strong in some way? Have you worked in the same place maybe multiple times, which is a good thing? It's, it's not directly relevant for many of you, I'm sure, because actually at, that, at the level I'm normally recruiting at, to be fair, which is a yeah. sort of senior creative level, um, you will have had years in the industry and so on. I'd say, though, that where, when I, when I um, do employ people at entry level and so on, I'm looking for slightly different things. It's not necessarily off the CV, but it can be off the CV and it can be in the room. I'm just looking for somebody who's going to make me think you're different and that you are in, obviously interested, and this is hard on the CV, but you're obviously interested in creative ideas. I'm interested in people who are immersed in the world, they're curious about the world and they can demonstrate that. You know, for instance, if you're coming to this thing today, I'd be surprised if you're interested in the creative world, you know, if you're just coming here and going home, 
that would feel to me boring and predictable. If you're going to come here and then go and pop into Waterstones or Fortnum and Masons, which are a relic from another world, or you're going to go through a walk for Green Park, or you're going to go to the Royal Academy, you're going to come to this day and not make the most of all the other stimulus you have around you, I think you're probably heading towards the wrong industry for me. I'd want to see people who want to throw themselves, immerse themselves in the world around them, curious about people and curious about things. And I think if you genuinely are and you genuinely do that, that will translate when you meet me or meet people like Emily and so on, that they'll pick up on that and they'll see that you're interested in the world around you. And that's what I'm most, that's what I pick up on the most, I'd say. And you were part of the recruitment panel for the Grayson trainee scheme, weren't you? What were you looking for there? Because that's a sort of entry-level scheme, isn't it? Yeah, so the Grayson, I'm part of the Grayson Trust, and we take on every year a number, about 12 people who come. Uh, it, it's it's um, uh, from very different backgrounds, and those sort of backgrounds that you won't get into, it's harder to get into television. And I guess, and we run a sort of, um, a, a group exercise we watch people brainstorm it's quite terrifying for them I think they have to brainstorm they have to pitch to us and so on and I guess the thing is look the truth is we all see lots and lots of people who come through the doors full of confidence been to all the right schools all the right universities you know very clever and so on and I find really boring because actually yes they they can present well and they can articulate well in the room but I think there's no Point of difference. What are you bringing that's unique and different? What's your take? What's, your, what, what's interesting to you? And when you look at people like the ones we were hiring, the Grissom trustee scheme, it was more about, I felt that there was something at least you had that was a, a unique POV. Because if you don't have a unique POV and you're the lifeblood of the industry, then we're all fucked. Because you need to have, that's the whole point of uh, hiring new young people, because you come in with new young ideas. And if all you're trying to do is predict and second guess what we want to hear, then that's not good enough for anyone. Well, it's certainly not good enough for me. Dif different people might say different things. Yeah. I'm looking for a point of difference. Okay. And in case anyone doesn't know, a POV is a point of view, just in case people don't know that. <laughs> um, so, and Lindsay, you're coming at it from a different side, aren't you? So you're going into these meetings to meet people, to get work. So can you give people sort of you know, the inside on that, and also the thing about the chat, explain why a chat is never a chat. <laughs> Hello. Um, going into interviews, yeah, I mean, I would say, we were sort of discussing it earlier, but just do your homework. It's a no-brainer. Just know who you're meeting. Research into what they've made. What What is it that you like about that? What don't you like? You know, it's all very well saying, I like this and I like that, but I think the most interesting people can tell me what they don't like about a pro project. And, you know, what's the company making? What What have you been thinking about recently that you could offer to the company? If you're going in for a project, what have you seen recently that's similar to that, good or bad? Um, I mean, I would always get there sort of half an hour before, 45 minutes before, go to a coffee shop, relax, make sure you're not walking through the door sweating, and, and just have a coffee and just read through your notes and go in. And I mean, more often than not, I just, I love, I just love chatting to people. <laughs> so, you know, it's normally, it becomes more informal along the way, but you should always expect for it to be more formal and be prepared for that. What about you, um, Dan, when you're going in to sort of meet people? I love it. I love interviews. I think it's great. I, um, I spend most of my career interviewing other people, so I talk about myself for a bit. And I, it's actually quite refreshing. Um, I mean, I'm lucky that I mostly go for jobs that I'm interested in, which is a good start. And I think when you're first starting out, you do some jobs where you just need the job. You know, you're not sure you're going to in be interested in it. But um, it's a great opportunity to really interrogate the project because, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I'm going to spend the next five months of my life 
dedicating myself to long hours and getting involved in a film and probably spending five weeks abroad somewhere. Um, so that's the opportunity to really interrogate the pitfalls in the thing. You know, is the budget right? Is the schedule right? Is, is the character really on board? What's the access actually like? Is this pitch feasible? Can I make it? And so I try and go there to be quite combative, actually, and, and really get to the bottom of it, because um, I've, I've taken on some stinkers before, and you don't want to make that mistake. You know, sometimes you get, after a week, you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Why didn't I ask those questions? Um, so, you know, I think it's, you should see it as a great opportunity to talk creatively and interrogate a project and decide if you want to do it as well. But I guess you can do that when you're more established, but when you're starting out, I don't know if you can be as... I don't know, what do you think about that, Emily? No, it's really interesting, because actually, as Dan says, I really like it when people ask me the questions on the phone or when I meet them. Particularly, like you say, when you're in Dan's position, it's easier because you can really... To, you know, pick and choose to a certain extent. I met Emily ten years ago. She's never given me a job. <laughs> it was too combative. <laughs> You've been too busy, Dan. You're always busy, always booked up. No, so I think that when you're starting out, I think Addie's making a good point, which is you can't, in a sense, you can ask, obviously, intelligent questions, but you... It's true there's a fine balance because what you don't want to do is put the person off and think, oh, my goodness, you know, this person's already asked me 50 questions. This is a month's job as a runner. Yeah. You know, I, you know <laughs> I, listen, where are we going? We'll never get any work done. So, um, <laughs> um, so I think that... Um, like, you know, like Lindsay says, it's doing your research before, particularly when, you know, you're going in to meet someone, you know, everyone loves it. As Sanjay says, everyone's got an ego that works in TV. And if they feel like you have done your research, they like you even more. And if you've particularly actually the most, I think the pertinent thing is not just doing your research, but what was the person's journey into the industry? Because that really shows a deeper level of research. It's not just, oh, you made this show. It's like, oh, you started out in the post room. Mm. You know, it's because it, that's the most interesting thing. How did people get into it? And they're always really flattered if you've gone back that far. So I think the key is to get there, as you say, early. I always notice when people come early, I make a note from reception as to what time they arrived. Because I think that's a really good sign. And I'll ask the reception, what were they like, you know, as a person? Because it's really important, those first impressions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing, the other thing about this industry is it's quite informal. So sometimes you can get invited to what you think is a chat, which you might think is a chat, but it isn't really. So can you explain a bit, a bit about that and how no. we frame interviews in this industry? I agree. Listen, I mean, that's, I would say, one thing that I do feel... Is can sometimes be frustrating for all of you going to a meeting or a chat, come in for a coffee and you think it's all quite relaxed and suddenly there's three people in a room and the production manager comes in, the exec producer and the series producer and you're kind of completely thrown. So as Addie said, it is so important. Think of every coffee as a proper interview. Treat it like a proper interview. Come early, be prepared. Um, because it is unfortunate in a way that informality in some ways is great, but it can be at the detriment of you if you feel like you haven't prepared because you just thought it was a casual chat. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, this last question to you, but obviously you're a talent manager, so the talent manager is the entry point for people to get their jobs in the industry. And um, how much contact is the right amount of contact? Because when does too much contact become stalking? I mean, how much? <laughs> and when is it enthusiasm? It's really hard to know. So what's the right amount of contact? Oh, it's so, too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in terms of getting opportunities, because it's competitive, and to show that enthusiasm, you want to be regularly in contact with a talent manager or a producer. But what's the right sort of level? Oh, I wish there was sort of a definitive answer to that. 
I think that um, it's really funny, isn't it? Because if you've worked in production and then you come to my side, it's like there's an art of kind of how you manage that relationship with people like me or Sanjay, who are sort of hiring people to work on their productions. So um, I would say, um, sort of if you're at the beginning of your career, obviously it's very short contracts, two to four weeks. I think it's always good to contact people if you're telling them something that you've now gained. Maybe you've started shooting and you want to let me know that you've started shooting or you're really good on Instagram or you've created sizzles for the development team. So if you're telling me something new, that's great. The other thing that I think is a really good tip is maybe four to six weeks as you go on in your career before, before you finish your contract, that's the moment to contact talent managers. And the nice thing that people write that I would suggest is, I know you're really busy, don't worry about emailing me back, but just to say I'm coming available on October the 12th. So then I don't feel that pressure of, oh no, I've got to reply to so and so, I know they're available, but I haven't got that feeling of, that's the thousandth email I've got to respond to today. Can I just add to that, Addy, just very quickly? I think um, uh, there's two philosophies, right? One is um, don't ask, don't get. So basically, there's no point being all polite and sitting back because you'll never get... People aren't going to just phone you up and offer you a job. Mm. Unlikely, right? You've got to be present. The other thing is I find, uh, because my memory is so bad, um, it, you've got to be in my inbox at the time I'm recruiting. So the number of jobs that have gone to people at all levels because they emailed me a week before... I got a commission and I thought, oh, hang on a minute, so-and-so emailed me a week ago and I know they're available. So it is a balance because you don't want emails every week from people, but I do think you should, um, you should email quite frequently, certainly every few months, just to say hi, I'm around. And you'll know when it's too much because people will stop replying to you. So I'd say just keep pushing until you do that. And the only other one thing I wanted to say was, in all these conversations about preparing for interviews and stuff, I think there's one thing about preparing specifically for interviews, and I think all the advice that Lindsay and Dan Lemley are giving you are really, really right. You should do that. And I, I particularly like the point about um, actually know what you don't like about people's programs because it's very easy yeah. to be sycophantic and much harder to cast a critical eye. But on that note, I do think it's important if you're interested in television, you're interested in media generally, I, I think if, if I were going back now, I would, I would be much more organized in terms of um, when I'm watching something, I would note down what it is I liked about that program, what didn't I like, what was creatively interesting. And so it should become muscle memory for you, right? You should watch all television, not just simply sit back and think, great, right, glass of wine and enjoy it, but should be thinking a bit like I imagine the match of the day pundits are watching a football match. They're enjoying it, but they're able to analyze it simultaneously. And if you do that enough, by the time you get into the room and people ask you about your opinions, about ideas, about programs, about videos, about anything, you'll be able to, you'll be better trained in thinking about how to talk about these things. So you won't do it by memory alone. I think you should, I, my advice would be start now and start writing down what do you like, what don't you like, what worked, what didn't work, what was the creative risk that they took that paid off and didn't pay off. And so in a year's time when you come for the right job, you'll be able to talk more knowledgeably about it. That's a really good point. Actress, in actress, so is, is auditioning for a part like it is in the films? What's it like? Can you give people a sense of how you go through that process of auditioning? Some people really thrive on audition, the audition process and some people absolutely detest it. Um, I actually really like it because you're often getting to meet the director, um, having more interaction with uh, the casting um, companies. All of that, for me, I love. Similar to what you said, Dan, I really enjoy being able to talk about 
what you're currently working on or what you've just finished working on, what you like about the project that you're being seen for. Um, I really, really like it. It is nerve-wracking. I'm not going to lie to you. It is, it's not... It's very, very weird. It's a weird process. It's not natural at all. But for me, I love the part where you're able to interact with the director, see what they're like, see if you've got a good vibe, that kind of stuff. And as well, you could get into the audition and think, this part, I've, I'm, it's just, I don't like it. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You're just as much going for yourself as well as for them, I think. That's what I always try and remember. And do you have all the other people going for the same role sat in the reception? like the Sometimes film? that has happened before. Actually, for one of my jobs, it was my first lead. Um, and yet we had, it was a three-month audition process. And we had to do workshops at Rada with other people who were going for the same part. So you had to spend a whole day with these people, pretending that you're, like, really wishing them well. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, you... Yeah. That was really, really great. And you're thinking, shit, they're so much better than me. And then you're like, oh, yeah. But it was, um, that was a really weird one. That was a particularly strange one. That, yeah, sometimes audition processes can be, you send a self-tape, a week later your contacts and say, yeah, great, we want you for the part. Something as simple and as impersonal as that. Or it can be the three months intensive, we're doing workshops, we're doing test on screen testing we're doing this the, oh it's just it can be a wide variety of ways that people will hire you for a job but yeah just pretend that is my key you just pretend that you're comfortable with it all you should be good because you're an actress yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. i think it's convincing a lot of people <laughs> Just picking up on that, if you are going for meetings or interviews or auditions, you might not be in the room that long, so just yeah. try and enjoy it and make the most out of it. And you know, if you are nervous, use that adrenaline and try and use that as excitement. And just be, you know, it's great that you're meeting this person that you really wanted to meet. So just try and enjoy it and make the most out of it. I'm interested in the sort of skills you need because now you sort of have the expression with, of the predator, which is the person that produce, directs, shoot, and edit, and you do all that sort of stuff. Did you always? No, you want to do everything, or is it a competitive advantage? No, not at all. I started in print, so I worked my way from my local rag, the Surrey Herald, up to the Times as a print journalist. So I had storytelling and journalism and interview, but when I moved to the BBC, I knew nothing about production. I had never been on a shoot, and I came in at AP level because I was doing journalism in current affairs. They wanted journalists rather than filmmakers at that point. Um, and the poor PD, you know, I was expected to set up all these shows. I'd never been on one. I had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, but it became very clear then, which was about 10 years ago, that you needed to shoot to make it as a director. So the next gig I got, which was at Watchdog, which is quite a good early gig because it's lots of fast turnaround, short films. Um, I just said, look, I'll take the job, but can you put me on a camera course? And then when I went to Rogue Traders, I said, can I go on a directing course? And then I started to get a bit used to the cameras, and then a watchdog, you know, they'll let you go and film a sign for a missing GB or something. Um, but you learn it on the job, you really do. I mean, the first, I was second camera on a watchdog shoot, um, forgot to plug the microphone in. So, you know, only when it, they got back to the edit, oh, yeah, there's no sound on your rushes, Dad. It's making it quite hard to sync up. So, you know, you balls it up. And you don't, I mean, I didn't actually know if I could shoot or not till I got into my first edit of the first film I'd made, you know, the first one-hour film, and I'd shot every frame of it. And it's only when the editor's looking through it, and he's not saying anything, but you know he's, like, looking inside, going, you can't shoot for toffee. And that's when you kind of realise, can you shoot or not? And it, other than that, I think the courses, they're handy, maybe they improve your confidence, but in my experience, if you go on a two-day course, and then you don't pick up a camera for a month, mm -hmm. 
it's, that's, that's worth nothing yeah. to you. So what I would say is, if there's a camera around, grab it and just start using it and just start playing with it and do stuff with it. And then that's, that's how you make it work, really. Do you think people are expected now to be able to shoot themselves? In the head? No. When it's like, oh, shooting rubbish. <laughs> when, they're making, yeah, yeah. when they're making television programmes. We do laugh when it's like, oh, shooting runner needed and stuff like that. It, that does seem a bit daft, doesn't it? I mean, I think one of the other things that you need to bear in mind is the camera's a tool, you know? The camera's a tool. It's about the story and it's about the characters. Um, and I think, you know, you can tell that story by shooting it on your mobile phone. If you've got a great moment, you can get it on your phone. You don't need all, the, all of the camera skills. So just think of it at all. Don't, don't be scared of it or alarmed by it. It's, it's about storytelling. Okay. And what about you, Lindsay? Did you shoot? I actually, that's what I'm trying to work on at the moment. And it's a difficult one because I've sort of moved into producing quite quickly, which is brilliant. But I've missed the opportunity to pick up a camera and the, the projects I normally work on, we have like a DOP who comes in and shoots. Um, so that's my next step. And I'm hoping to go via a scheme, which is much of how I've built my career, um, knowing how to and pick up a camera that way. But I can shoot. And I do feel like it's more about storytelling. It's not just knowing how to operate a camera, but if I walked into the room now, how would I, how would I make the most out of it? Who would I ask? What, where would I sit to make people feel comfortable? And it's thinking about all of these things as well, which just goes back to what you're saying, I suppose. I, definitely, I love that because with it's the same, I think, in any career in this industry is that it's really, really valuable to learn more about the jobs that other people are doing. I always find that really important. Like I, I didn't train to be an actress. You, if you've seen my stuff, you can probably tell. I, um, <laughs> I started writing. That was my... That was what I thought I would go into. I did script writing at university. And then I fell in love with the acting side of things. And now with the more productions I'm on, I'm really interested in, in learning about uh, the directing side of things. So I think it's just about being a sponge and absorbing as much as you can and learning as much as you can on every single job that, you, that you're on. Well, I'm going to throw open to questions in a minute, so get your questions ready. But I just think that now, just can you... Anyone can answer this question, but what are the what's the first year of your career like in television? What was, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the first year? Can you remember, Sanjay? What's the first year? Can you remember? Can you remember? <laughs> Just go back. Can you remember what the... Yeah. Uh, You'll start with something else. Well, yeah, I'll start with something else. Uh, 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 Emily, bumpy, go on. Bumpy, I would say bumpy. I came into TV at 25, wow. having managed a restaurant, so... Um, did some work experience, sort of the oldest person, you know, that was all these sort of 16, 17-year-olds, and I actually moved to Plymouth to work there in the newsroom just to get myself on the ladder. Um, so I would say the first year was bumpy. I felt really um, old compared to everyone else in terms of starting out, and, um, you know, it was kind of a week. It was a week's work experience that then turned into two weeks that turned into a very entry-level role. So... You know, it's hard. That first year is hard. You're trying to convince everyone that you're the right person for the job. And how do people manage that sort of financially? How can you sort mm -hmm. of manage? <clears throat> I mean, if you haven't got wealthy parents yeah. or you don't live in London or whatever, how do you manage starting a career if contracts are going to be quite short? I mean, I don't know if you, you can talk about that, Lindsay. Cabbage soup. Uh, really? mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, I lived in Portsmouth um, early on. I came to the industry when I was 25 as well. I had no links, really. Um, I had to move out and stay at my other half's mum's house just so I could sort of 
jump the train from time to time and commute in. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid for my first two weeks. And, and luckily, they just sort of kept me on and paid me. But it's, it's really difficult. And um, I've heard sort of whispers of, you know, new schemes and trying to make runners' contracts longer, which I think is really what needs mm. to be done. There needs to be more money for runners. You know, if it's hard to know whether they're good enough to keep around for six months, but there needs to be more trust there to really invest in people and give them the opportunity to step up, because otherwise it's just not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I think you do gigs you don't want to do or you don't really like, but as long as you kind of take one thing out of each of those gigs, then you know it's worth it. And, you know, be that the camera course or the directing course, or now you know how to swing a boom, or now you've, like, spent an hour in an edit watching what actually happens. As long as you kind of take one thing out of each of those experiences, then I think that helps as you're progressing. You feel like you're doing something, even if it's a naff show. Yeah. And also, I think it's just saying yes to some jobs. It's funny because, like Dan says, you don't, there's not every job you want to do. Just say yes to everything. I drove a presenter across France because the driver that we had fell asleep at the wheel. I mean, uh, you know, and so I said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll drive her. So, um, you know, you just have to be willing to say yes to everything, even if it's not, as Dan says, the thing that you really want to do. And say yes with enthusiasm, even if inside you're thinking, this is mad. <laughs> okay. Has anyone got any questions they'd like to ask? Um, okay. Lots of questions. Mike at the back. Hi there. Hiya, I'm Nicole Stanbury. Um, just a quick question. How um, important is it to network with your fellow peers, like inside this room, um, in terms of your future and a career? I'm going to say very quickly, I think it's really important, but I'm going to pass it on to the panel. Who wants to answer that? Yeah, that's it's essential. You, you, that's the only reason, I think, well, hopefully a small bit of talent, but generally networking is a massive, massive thing, and that should never stop, ever, with every single person who you might think, well, that their role in this production or this industry doesn't really apply to me. It all applies to you. That's what I would always say. I think as well, it is important to network with people who are at your level. And mm. um, I've done, I did a scheme last year called the One Swatch Scheme, and you know we have a WhatsApp group, and all of us are on it, and you know we're all supporting each other. And that is one really beautiful thing that I found about the industry. Mm. It's it's a bit of it's a bit of karma basically. If you put it out there, and if you actively work to support other people around you, then it will come back to you. Mm. And I think. You know, if you can't take that job, or if you know somebody else that might be good for something that you've heard yeah. of, just keep recommending people because it just it will work both ways, and it's really important. Yeah. Can I just add to that? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Um, just yeah. To add to that is um, the fact that it's funny actually when you're trying to pitch, say, to commissioning editors, everyone wants to see the head of department or the channel controller or something. What they don't quite realise is the more junior commissioning editors will be the ones who are the heads of department and channel controllers in the future. And the truth is the same in this room. Um, however, however many of you do succeed in making it in this brilliant industry, the truth is that amongst you will be the next generation of creative leaders and controllers and indie bosses and directors and so on. And so therefore, by networking now, you're going to grow together. And I think that's a really important thing, that you may not feel like you're important now, but you will be in the future, and so will the rest of the people around you. So always, by the way, never, ever burn bridges with people, yeah. ever. You know, however many people fuck you off in the industry, you never tell it to their face because next thing you know, they'll be your boss. So it's just not worth it. I think collaboration is a big thing as well. There'll be people in this room that hopefully you'll work with for, for, for a long time. And I think that's something that I really, really enjoy is collaborating with people who um, are on your level and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel that too. Let's, let's make this, let's make this. Because I think everyone in the industry loves the fact 
uh, people higher up in the industry who, who hire you for jobs, they'll love the fact that you're out there and getting stuff made yourself as well. Yeah. Okay, next question. Who's next? I don't know who put up the hand up when, so I'm just going to pick people randomly. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, here. Sorry. Uh, but. Uh, hiya. So a question I've been asking myself the last probably two years. Um, at what point would you say you're doing too much? Because I know we spoke about um, having different skills and shooting your own stuff, but then mm. also doing this and that and sort of yeah. having as many skills as possible. But at what point do you think you need to sort of streamline the, the various different things you do to sort of know where you're going. Can you give us an example? Is, that, is it that you're tr applying for everything? or what? what no, you, so for example, I'm, I'm an actress, that's yeah. what I do professionally, probably six months of the year, but then I also do a little bit of script supervising, a little bit of editing, a tiny bit of filming, but I'm not very confident of filming, and then like, voice, like I sort of feel like I'm doing a lot of things. Right. Yeah. So, so the disease, right, okay, go on, do you want to take that? Okay. Um, well, first of all, well done. That's brilliant. That you're, I mean, you know, but I think, why don't you think, follow your instincts. So if there's one particular area you think you're really good at, I, I understand what, are you saying that you feel like you're um, jack of all trades, master of none yeah. in terms of the other skills that you have? Um, I suppose that I could go down that. Yes. Yeah, now that it's been two years a bit, yeah. So what do you think, if there's one area that you felt you were kind of excelled at or particularly good at, I would say perhaps focus more on that and your acting. I mean, it's a bit like with presenters. I always think it's good to have something to, to else rather than just relying solely on acting jobs or, you know, obviously like Ruth's a screenwriter too. You know, having two strings to your bow or three is good, but I would say do follow the ones that you feel most passionately about because you'll probably be best at those. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing to, to do what you're doing in a way. I would, I would almost say there's never enough, you know? But also, it's sort of that thing, isn't it, that where sometimes you get into junctions in your career yeah. where you almost have to risk something to get something better. Yeah. And it's a bit like when the, the, in, in television, the AP sort of director junction's a bit like that, isn't it? And, you know, Sanjay, you gave up a really good job to start your own company. And so there's a period of transition where life gets a bit harder. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to work out... Yeah, I guess, what, well, I guess what the, 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 um, the lady here is oh, saying... Risk yeah, it's a bit like... Because at the moment you're trying to do lots of things because I suppose you've got to get income coming in, haven't you? But there comes a point when I guess you've got to go, what's the thing I really want to do? Um, but there could be a, a temporarily a financial sacrifice for that, I guess. Yeah, I, sorry, I, 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 sorry, I didn't... I, I fully understand your point now. Yeah, apologies. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's absolutely right. The question there is about what is it that you're most interested in doing and it goes to the point about not trying to second guess what everyone else needs and therefore what media want is uh, uh, that thing you can go in with confidence say I'm really good at this there's no point being mediocre at everything is there really but as Ali's right there are certain points in your career you have to choose left or right and you have to make decisions and I think as long as those decisions you make those choices you make you feel um, you, you feel have been founded on good principles my philosophy in life has always been I've never looked back and regretted any of this. I've made some radical decisions in my life, and they could have gone either way. But I've never looked back and thought that was a bad decision. Um, and, uh, and I think that you've just got to develop that sort of inner confidence. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy. You're trying to do everything at all times, always look back with regret. And I think focus on what you really believe in and then throw yourself wholeheartedly into that and then don't ever look back. Is there a particular strand that you're most passionate about? Uh, yeah, definitely acting. Yeah, so I, I 
my my training, as it were, is is script writing. I've not I've not written anything for three years because I've been solely acting, and that's and you won't, you'll never you'll never lose it. My agent now is saying you, you need to start writing again. I'm like, yeah, I will, but the past three years has been acting, and that's what I've thrown myself wholeheartedly into. You'll you'll never lose it. You'll be able to pick up the other stuff as you go, but you've got you've got time on your hands. Don't think don't think you're running out of time. I think that's something that people always think. And while you're there, if there are aspiring actors in the audience, who are the best people for them to contact with to, in order to get work? How do you start? Um, you know what? I, f I always really enjoy just emailing casting directors. Right. Um, like yeah, for that for me. Uh, and also make a list, like, similar to what you were saying, Sanjay, it was people who, programs that you watch, make a note of the directors who've made them and think, oh, that would be quite nice. Try dropping them an email. Right. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to get a response. But then, again, timing-wise, I've had auditions before because... Uh, back in the day when I was just starting, I was, I, I've emailed, and they're like, oh yeah, we're actually looking for a project, a characters for this project to make fancy coming in, and that was purely chance that they read my email at that time. So I think that's something that's quite important, is not being afraid to make your own contacts, don't just rely on your agents who always make the contacts for you. Okay, but of course lots of people starting out wouldn't even have agents yet. So, like, yeah, that, that's another thing. Contact some agents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go on. What's your question there? Hi. Um, yeah, I'm named Variety D. I'm a stand-up comedian, actress, and writer. Um, and my question is, do you guys in the panel think that um, in the UK alone it's become more politically correct, especially when dealing with factual uh, TV programmes, and why? More politically correct in terms of factual. What do you mean by so that? So, in choice? a sense, where if someone had an idea to do something really risky, and they want to put it forward, uh, it's most likely a no rather than a yes, okay. because it causes so much conflict and stuff. Even though it's something good to talk about. I, d I don't think so. I don't, don't think, think so. so. I think. Why? Um, well, I've done a few things which are which were really high risk, like Drugs Live for Channel 4, where, you know, literally a bit of paper arrived on my desk saying, can we get anyone taking an E on live telly? And you're like, well, I'll look into it. And, and, um, it took two years, but we did it. We did it. Um, or, you know, can you go and investigate the Ku Klux Klan? Are we giving them a platform, or is it worth going and spending time with them? And they were like, no, let's go and spend time with them. Let's do it. Um, I think people are, are really up for taking creative risks, and actually, that's probably the only way to kind of cut through, is by doing something different and risky mm. and attracting some complaints. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else got anything to add to that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, I've, last year, well, for the past 18 months, I've been working on my first documentary, and it aired in um, July, and it, it was quite risky. It was about um, operating on a baby that had the same disability. I get people saying, you absolutely shouldn't do So everyone was like, what the hell? You know, and you're going to get people saying, you absolutely shouldn't do that. You're going to get people saying, you absolutely should. But the whole purpose of that was to say, that surgery exists. And now I think that's something that's incredible. And f to be able to share, I think stories that aren't politically correct are the best ones. And I will always say that. Okay, okay. Um, and one thing I didn't ask you guys is about training. How do you, where do you get training from? How do you, I know there's some things you learn on the job, but how do you get tra training? What training is available in the industry? Um, well, the, thank you. Um, the Indie Training Fund offer 
it's half price to freelancers, so if you're, right. um, which is really good. So if you work for a company, then you have to pay the full price, but you should definitely have a look. They have really good entry level. I mean, probably as a runner, I would say at this point, I wouldn't necessarily, it's, it's still too much right, money. Okay, okay. But I think when you're kind of going up to the researcher AP, look at the ITF. Uh, otherwise, I mean, there are lots of events that, I was laughing earlier saying to Susie, you know, this didn't exist when I started out, yeah. BAFTA guru, you know. Um, so I'd say that in terms of the training, it's hard because as an industry, it's true, there's not a kind of formal process that you'd go through like you would for other careers. But as Dan says, sometimes I think it's about an exchange. So say you're amazing on Instagram and the company you're working for wants to push their social media. You could do a bit of a deal. I, I'm always a believer in a bit of a hustle. Say, look, I'll commit to helping you do that if you could pay or support me by perhaps paying half. I'm on this long contract to learn how to use a camera because ultimately it benefits them too. And there's also other people in the industry as well. Often if you ask other people that can do something that you can't do, and that's why it's quite useful to have the peer-to-peer -peer thing. So if there are other people in the room that know how to shoot and you don't know how to shoot, they might teach you in return. That, a lot of those, I mean, that's another way you can pick up skills. Yeah, I think mentoring is like a really big, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I think mentoring is really important. It's sort of going back to what I was saying earlier. But there are schemes. It's for new. They're free. Like the network is a really good scheme. It's run by Edinburgh Television Festival. It's for new entrants only. You, they'll pay for you to go up to the festival for a week, which is normally like £800 or something for a ticket. And they'll pay for your accommodation, give you expenses. And then they'll give you training. And that's in... There's acting, there's presenting, there's documentary making. It's, it's great training. Um, and as part of that, you will then be given a mentor for a year. So I was on The Ones to Watch, which is for people who've been in the industry for more than three years. Um, and then I took on two mentees for a year as part of that. And that was, you know, brilliant. And some of them really wanted it and some of them didn't. And you can sort of work it out quite quickly. But you should definitely be applying for these schemes because there, there are lots of them. You just need to... You just need to look for them. I think April's the next batch of like Grierson, Ones to Watch, Broadcast Hot Shots, The Network. I mean, I'm sure there's lots more. Okay. Um, any more questions? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know who put their hand up first. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. You take it. It's fine. We'll come to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Um, so, what's your opinion on Netflix and how the impact it's having now? And where do you think the industry in general is going as a result of that? Oh, oh, Sanjay. Um, well, look, we've benefited because we sold a show to Netflix, which was really good for our company, and we were delighted that they're around because they paid a lot more money than anyone else. Mm. But I, I think, look, A, I think it can only be a good thing, right, generally, because if you've got a bigger marketplace out there, what, what we all are, we're all content creators of some description, and therefore what you want is people to eat for your content. And if there are deeper pockets and more buyers, then that's good for content creators. At the moment, I think it's a good thing, and at the moment, it feels like Netflix feel like a place also that take lots of risk and make really interesting um, factual and scripted television. The, the question will be, I think the danger becomes, as anyone moves into monopoly position, if they end up effectively driving out of business other buyers and so on, uh, and then do they then change? Do they become coming something else? Do they drive down the prices they pay to people? Do their terms get worse? Do they become a bit more homogenous in the future? Those are always risks in the future. But for the moment, I think it's fantastic you've got all these different buyers. Okay, brilliant. Um, the, the lady in the front. Thank you. Uh, so I think my question is related to social media. You were mentioning Instagram a few times and how well we do on Instagram. I'm a producer, so I, 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 we're working on this feature film as well as 
developing a series. And we're not doing well on social media, but every time we have organized a, a screening or an event, we did very well. So people that have really listened to us were very pleased and, and uh, found the project really necessary. But then, obviously, we struggle with being visible. How do we improve that, I suppose? Thank you. Um, so, but you, you had a good, pe people came, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. but you want to spread the word. there in the room, I suppose. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but why not have Twitter and Instagram? Because it's just another way, another platform. We do, we do, oh, you but do. we don't do well on it. Oh, you don't do well. Oh. Um, it's hard without seeing the, but I mean, how often do you post? Because the whole key with both of them, obviously, is to yeah. do it every day, to push, to, to interact with yeah. your audience. So I suppose it depends how proactive you are at managing those feeds. Yeah. If you've got someone on them all the time, then you're going to get people following you. But I if know. it's sporadic, then it, it doesn't work. I suppose. I, I know that that's where maybe the fault is, because I, I do it myself and then some uh, another um, colleague of mine, um, and I'm not very good because I don't like social media. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like the fact, like, for example, as well, maybe Ruth could answer this as well. There is this, this debate of, you know, how actors do well and get hired because of their Instagram followers and you know that sometimes weighs more than the talent or it does. You know, there was um, a yeah yeah i'm i'm i don't have compared to people i don't have a massive social media following so as it stands hopefully i'm hired for that for the fact that i'm the best for the job not my social media thank god yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah i completely see your point that sometimes you you do hear that oh this person's got 100,000 followers we you know that's and then more than that, more than that. Um, but yeah, that's something that's, uh, I'm not a casting director or a director in that respect, so I can't say why certain people get hired, but I think first and yeah. foremost, it should be the talent. Yeah, exactly, that's what I feel. So for example, when you know that you have a, well, you've, yeah, you know you have a project of substance, but mm. it's not doing well in visibility and therefore mm. you can't progress and you can't, um, like for example, getting made because obviously funding, mm -hmm. then it kind of makes you angry and you go like, what yeah. now? I would, for, I would almost look for an intern of someone who's like really keen to be involved, someone who's passionate about the, I don't know what you're making, but who's interested in what you're making, who is really, really shit hot at social media because that's what you need. And then, yeah. you know, there's lots of them okay, about, I've come good. across loads of them. So it's, it's looking for those people that's that are willing to help. Advice, yeah. Yeah, also, I would say though that the, the, uh, the, I would also say that in sort of the process of this uh, industry, often you have an idea that you think is the best idea ever, oh, right. and it's not everyone's ideas can get made. I mean, you must experience yeah. this all the time as an independent production company owner, Sanjay. Yeah, I mean, it's deeply frustrating, right? Because uh, as you've got a lot of passion for your project, yeah. I'm sure everyone here mm. has passion for a thing, yeah. and there's nothing more frustrating than either a channel won't buy it, or audiences won't come to it, or suddenly yeah. you don't get it. And... Um, you know, what, all you can do is, look, the best examples I can give is, you, you've got to know when you persevere with something when you don't. We've had ideas commissioned recently that have been kicking around for years, and suddenly some lunatic will sit in the room and say, actually, I really like that idea. Let's, yeah. there's all cost, it took 10 years to get commissioned. Yeah. Life on yeah, Mars took similar. Yeah. There's all been rejected millions of times. I know everyone knows those stories, but the truth is, if you really believe an idea, an idea is really mm -hmm. good, I do firmly believe that ultimately its time will come. But the truth also is competitive and a lot of ideas won't make it, however much you believe in them. And sometimes yeah. you just have to sort of think, yeah. I need to move on to the next thing. Yeah. 
No, I'll be resilient because it's really worth it. But uh, yeah. and I think you mustn't give up. I suppose. But yeah. I okay. suppose. Sorry, my question. Uh, I'm gonna have. Sorry, I'm gonna have to take one last question. Sorry. Uh, from the front row. Sorry. One last question. Oh, I feel like I've taken lots of people from the front row, so I've, I don't know. Can, can someone else choose? I'm not going to choose. <laughs> <laughs> you can grab people at the end, because they will be hanging around. So at the end of the session, people will be hanging around, so you can speak to them outside if you haven't had a chance to ask your question. Hi. Before Hi. Um, I'm going to be that annoying bastard with the two-part question. Um, okay, we might only answer It'll be very, very quick. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, writing and directing in advertising and branded content for the last two years, uh, but really as a means to try and get into script writing uh, for TV. Uh, who do I contact to make that final jump, and would my experience be seen as relevant? Okay, well, you made a similar sort of transition. Print? No. No, no. No, no. Oh, I went from print, but I, I don't know, mate. I've got no idea. Okay. Cool. A lot of um, agents, you, agents don't just represent actors. They represent everyone from the TV industry. So I think sending some uh, writing samples to literary agents is really, really good. Um, they've got lots of fantastic ones in London who have been, you know, working for hundreds of years uh, about commissioning writing. So have something that you think is, is really, really, really good that you are happy to send out to different literary agents and say that you're interested yeah. in coming for a chit-chat about uh, potentially being represented. Um, I think that would be my advice on that one. Well, Emily. All I was going to say is we talked briefly about the idea of when you want to either make a step up promotion-wise or you want to move across genres. I think what you need to think about is what position are you willing to accept to get into that area? Because you may have to go backwards to go forwards. So you may find that there's a drama label that would love to have you. They haven't got a job necessarily at the level you would like. But if you can manage to financially to do it, then I would say it's worth going in as a development assistant or as an assistant to the MD of that particular drama company. Company because that's the way you have to be willing to be flexible about the job that you do. I'd also say it's quite common to sort of, I, I know other people that have gone from commercials to sort of scripted content, so it's worth sort of Googling and seeing their pathway as well um, because I know that it, people do move across. I don't know if anyone else has got anything to add to that. Okay. Brilliant. Um, we've come to the end of the session, but like I said, um, people will be around at the end if you want to ask them any more questions. So I just wanted to say thank you to Emily, to Dan, to Lindsay, to Sanjay, and to Ruth. Thank you.